Well, good morning. My name is Randy Madison. In case you have not gotten to meet me, I know I haven't met many of you. I am the interim executive pastor here at Kearney Evangelical Free Church. And this morning I'm filling in for Adrian, who uh, is away again at another funeral. And so please pray for him. Uh, this is his third funeral in two weeks. And uh, he was called away to Colorado uh, this weekend, a funeral of a family member. And uh, he and Susie would very much appreciate your prayers uh, at this time. Well, we welcome you today, especially if you're a guest, and uh, maybe you're here today and you haven't been here for several weeks, and uh, if that's your situation, then you need to know, as you just saw on the screen, that we're in the midst of a very uh, special and exciting sermon series called God's Story, Our Story. And uh, Pastor Adrian got us launched on this uh, at the beginning of this last month, we started at the very beginning of the Bible, and we're working our way through the Scriptures now this year, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the Bible. Uh, in 40 weeks, we're, we're taking a tour, a journey through the Scriptures together as we learn uh, the Scripture today uh, as a group. Now, this morning, we're on our fourth stop on that journey. So please turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. That's where we're going to be today. And you'll want to keep your, uh, your, your thumb or your finger right there on that scripture. And as you're doing that, I want to just review where we've been to this point as we come to Genesis 11 this morning. You'll remember that God created this planet. And the Bible tells us at the end of Genesis 1 that when he created it, he looked and the scripture says that it was very good. Not just good, but very good. And the Bible says that because God is perfect and God makes things perfectly. But Adam and Eve messed it up. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, they decided to go their own way and follow their own path, their own plan, rather than God's plan. And we call that the fall. So sin entered in, it messed things up. And we get to Genesis 4, and you've got the story of Cain and Abel. And there we have the record of the first murder and the first homicide in the Bible. You come to Genesis 6 through 8, and we've got the story of the worldwide flood that God sent on all people because of their, their evil and their wickedness. And then we get to chapter 9, and we've got a picture of God's grace and his faithfulness, and his goodness to us as he makes that, that covenant with, with Noah in that chapter. You remember? And we have the rainbow, which reminds us every time we see one of God's grace and mercy and faithfulness and goodness to us. We come to chapter 10 and we see that people are scattered, the descendants of Noah all over the earth. And now we come to the fourth stop on our journey this morning in this story our story and God's story, and we have this, this, this episode of Babel, the Tower of Babel. Now, I want to just take one more moment before we look at this chapter this morning to remind you that if you can't make it on Sunday, and not every one of us make it every Sunday, you can go to the website, and you can go to the menu, and you can get on media, and you can go to the messages link, 
and you can listen to the messages that you miss. So that, that way you can stay current with what we're doing. There's also a lot of additional material there for you. For example, there's a Bible reading plan. And you can download that, you can print it off, and then you can read the scripture that we're going to be talking about each Sunday the week before we get there. And so you may want to do that. That way, again, you can be reading through the Bible this year. And there's other tools there that will help you understand the scripture. And I would encourage you to check some of those books out that are listed there. A book by Max Licato and Randy Friese on uh, God's story. Tools help us better understand and apply the scripture to our lives. Now, why is this important? You remember what we learned the first week out? Nine out of ten households, homes in America, own one of these. They have a Bible. But only one out of ten people will ever read through the Bible in their lifetime. Only one out of ten. This is an opportunity for every one of us to get into this book. And it's important because this is not just some kind of ancient textbook on religion. This is a very practical source book for living. It's our roadmap. It tells us how to, the, the way to God, how to reestablish a relationship with God. And it, it tells us how to live for God. And we're going to see that this morning now as we get into Genesis chapter 11 together. Would you pray with me? Lord, now as we prepare our hearts to hear from your word. And this book that we're considering now this morning, Lord, is different than any other book. This is your word, Lord. It's your manual. It's your roadmap. And you created us, and you know exactly who we are, and where we are, where we've been, what we've done this week, and what we brought into, into this room with us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us at our point of need, and that you would give us exactly what we need from your word today to encourage us, to challenge us, to draw us back to you, whatever it is, Lord. Give us what we need, we pray. And we look to you as our teacher now, in Jesus' name, amen. We pray this. Well, I want to ask you a question as we get started here today. How many of you have been to New York City to Ground Zero since 9-1-1? Several of you, many of you actually in this room. How many of you have been there since 2009 to see the new Freedom Tower, which they built in place of the Twin Towers. You've been there. It's, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a massive, impressive structure. There's a, there's a picture of it. If you know a little bit of our story, you know that my wife and I have been in New York for the last couple of years. And we had several opportunities to go into New York City and, 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 and look at this massive, beautiful building. 1,776 feet in the air, counting the spire. How many of you have been to Chicago to see the Sears Tower there in Chicago? Many of us have been there. Over 1,400 feet high, the world, uh, pardon me, the Empire State Building held the world's record for 41 years of being the world's tallest building. It's 1,251 feet high. 
How many of you remember Mission Impossible 4, the fourth movie with, with crews out there outside that building in Dubai? Any of you see that thing? You couldn't pay me enough money to get outside of that building like he did. That is the tallest building in the world. It's 2,000. Here's a picture of it up here on the screen this morning. 2,700 feet high. Now, what is my point? The point is this. Tall buildings make us proud. If you have the tallest building in your town, then pride sets in. And you feel independent. And you feel like you're kind of the biggest bully on the block. And you can be the Super Bowl champ or whatever it is. You're the best of the best. But, but tall buildings have that, that, that uh, effect on us of making us proud or proud. Are, are proud full. And that's exactly the situation in this chapter this morning as we look at the Tower of Babel that these people are building. Now, you need to know that this tower that we're talking about this morning in this chapter is not as tall as the buildings that we just looked at and that we're talking about. This Tower of Babel was probably only about 350 feet high. They were staircased or stair-stepped edifices that they built back in that day, and they usually had a temple on top of the building. But as we look at this story this morning, we're going to see that these people, their goal was to build this building into the heavens, and they're doing it, I think, out of pride and self-sufficiency. Listen to what the Word of God tells us and follow along. I hope you've got your Bible open now to Genesis chapter 11. The Bible says the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And if you're into underlining or circling things in your Bible, underline that little phrase, settled there. Because we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. So they settled there and they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Now, notice the language. I hope you're reading along here. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name... You might want to underline that phrase because we're going to be talking about that so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What was the essence of the sin, the wrongdoing, the heart of these people? If you've got your insert open in front of you, you can write these words down. I think the essence of their sin was Proud independence rather than humble dependence on God. They decide that they're going to go, if I can use the analogy, they're going to go off-roading. God has given them a plan. God has revealed his will to Adam and Eve. He's given us the roadmap, the picture. But what did Adam and Eve decide to do? They decided to off-road. They decided they were going to do it their way instead of God's way. And that's exactly the sin of the Tower of Babel in this passage of Scripture. They decided to go off-roading on the road of independence. They're going to live life for themselves rather than stay on the main road of humble dependence on God. That's the sin 
the root sin, I think, in this, this passage of Scripture as we, we get into it this morning. Now, let's just hit the pause button for a moment and look back at next week. Remember that at last week, and you remember that Adrian was talking about that thumbprint that we were made in the image or likeness of God? How many of you were here last week? I'd just like to see your hands. Most of us, a lot of us. Okay, well, if you were here, you remember what he was talking about. He talked about how we were made in the image of God, and we were looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. What does it mean to be made in the, in the likeness or image of God? And he identified several things. They're on the screen for you right now. One of those is rationality. God gave us the, the ability to think clearly, to reason. We're different than other animals. We're not animals. We're human beings. We're, we're made in the image of God. And then the second thing that is a part of the image or likeness of God in us, part of his thumbprint in us, is the ability uh, to, to, uh, to know right from wrong. A moral code, if you will. Morality. And this, regardless of where you live on planet Earth, whether you live in, in Asia or you live in America, there are common mores. There's, there are common values that, that we all share. We, we, a love for family, and we identified some of those. That's... that's Evidence of the image or likeness of God because God is love. Creativity. God has given us the ability to, to be creative. Creative through our work. God is the creator. We're just creatures, creatures, but he gave us the ability to create things, to be creative. That's, that's evidence of his likeness. Community. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, they're saying, let us make man in our image. God is in community with himself, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. He made us for community. We need relationships with one another. That's one of the reasons that this Sunday that we're, we're observing today is so important. This is Life Group Care Ministry Sunday. You know why that's important? Because the Christian life is a team sport. We can't do it alone. We need one another. And so if you feel needy this morning, there's nothing wrong with that. We're creatures that need one another if we're going to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the final component, if you will, of being in the image of God, and this is a new thought now this morning, and this is where we're going today, is, in, is wrapped up in this, this word dependency. Could we just say that together? Dependent. Dependency. God made us to be dependent on Him. You see, He's the Creator. We're creatures. And Adam and Eve were designed to depend on Him. And when they went off-roading and decided that they would buy into the lie of the serpent, the deceiver, and they went down that wrong road, that road of independence, then they were becoming something that God didn't want them to be. And we see that happening in this chapter, as I just said, as well. Psalmate last week, do you remember it? Let me just read the words of the psalmist. This is humble dependency not being independent, 
David said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You see, this tower was all about their name. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you, O God, have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, that you even bother about us, God? We're these dependent creatures. You want us to be dependent on you. You care about us. Notice the humble dependence in the heart of David here in Psalm 8. Reminds me of a story that I read years ago of a free thinker in England back in the 1700s. He was an agnostic or an atheist. His name was Anthony Collins, and he liked to mock Christians. He liked to put them down. And so there was this poor man that was walking to church one day, and this, this agnostic guy walks up to him, and he starts to make fun of him. And he says, say, is your God a, is he a, a great God or a, is he a little God? And this poor man thought about it for a moment. And this was his response. He said, sir, he said, my God is so great that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. And he's so little that he can dwell within my heart. That's the kind of God we have this morning. So great, so immense, and yet personal. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. So let's talk about these people and what they did in this passage. They decided to go off-roading. They didn't need God. And they're going to build this tower to the heavens because they want to be God-like or they think they're God. What are some warning signs that we're in danger of going off-roading like they did? Because the truth is the propensity of all of our hearts as people is to end up where these people are. We all have a tendency in our lives to build the Tower of Babel. So what does that look like? When do we know we're in danger of doing this? Well, notice, first of all, if you're following your plan and not God's this morning, that's one potential warning sign that you're off-roading. You're not where he wants you to be. And if you got your insert this morning, you can just kind of fill in the blanks. It's right there for you. You've got, got these little descriptors, uh, descriptors. These people decided to go their way and not follow God's way. Look at verse 2 in chapter 11 for just a moment. And notice what direction these people are moving. Notice that they're moving eastward and they settle in the plain of Shinar, which is just another word for Babylon or Babylonia, which Babylon is a symbol of being the enemy of God in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in Revelation 17 and 18. So they're, they're building this tower and they're following their plan and they're moving eastward. It's interesting, and I, I, I learned that this just this last week as I was preparing for this, Moving east in the early chapters here in Genesis was a symbol or a sign of people off-roading, moving away from God and their relationship with him. And so notice here in Genesis 11 too that they're moving eastward and they settle in this plain and they start to build this city and this tower. 
What direction were Adam and Eve evicted? In what direction were they evicted when they were banished from Eden? Do you remember? They were banished to the east side of Eden. Look at Genesis 3.24. They leave Eden on the east side. When Cain murders Abel and commits the first murder and homicide in the Bible, what direction does he move? Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. He moves east, and he settles in this, this city of, of Nod, I believe is the name of it. And so here we found these people going the same direction. They're moving away from God. They're off-roading. They're deciding to go down the road of independence rather than humble de dependence in their relationship with the Lord. When Lot was lusting over Sodom and Gomorrah and he wanted the good land and he took it and Abraham stayed where he did, what direction did Lot move in Genesis 13? He moved east. It's a sign or a symbol of independence, not going God's way. Now look at verse 3 in Genesis 11 and notice the conversation here. Then they said to each other, the Bible says. Do you see that? You might want to underline that in your Bible. In other words, they didn't consult with God when they were making this plan. There's no vertical dimension here. This is their plan. It's not God's plan. They're consulting with each other. Reminds me of James 14 where it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow you're going to such and such a city and you'll do this or you'll buy that. Making plans that aren't God's plans. If you're in danger of making your own plan this morning, and I would just ask you, are you planning something and you're not consulting God? Then I just want to warn you, on the authority of the Bible itself, you're on thin ice this morning. I live in Hastings. I'm commuting to Kearney right now. If you've ever been to Hastings, then you've probably been around, walked around Lake Hastings, Lake Hastings as a man-made lake. Right now, it's frozen over because of all the cold weather and when it's been sub-zero, that, that ice has gotten really hard. The other day I was out walking around Lake Hastings and people were out there on the ice. And you can do that when it's solid. But what if it starts to thaw like, on a, like yesterday or, or tomorrow, you know, it gets a little warmer. You get out there on thin ice and what happens? You sink, you don't swim. And so if, you're, if we're making plans that aren't God's plans, then we're on thin ice. We're in danger of off-roading. We're in danger of doing the very thing that the people did in this passage of Scripture. And then another warning sign is self-sufficiency instead of a spirit of humility. That's another warning sign. Look at verse 3 again here in Genesis 11. And notice the conversation. Come, let us. Let us. Build this for ourselves. And then it's repeated again in verse 4. Come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Can you just hear the, the self-sufficiency as they talk to each other? They're not depending on God. I mean, who needs God? This is all about them. You might want to underline these words and just let these words soak into your soul this morning for a minute. What is God saying to you? Now the, the light's on us, not on them for a minute. What's God saying to you this morning? 
as you listen to what happened to them. Can you hear the words? Can you hear what's going on in their heart? This spirit of self-sufficiency. And then the personal pride instead of God's glory. That's a, a third warning signal or sign. Notice the focus on their personal fame, wanting to make a name for themselves. We live in the age of the selfie, right? I mean, every place you turn, somebody is, it's a selfie of themselves because this is the me, my, and I age. You know, it's all about me. It's not about God. That's the culture. That is the world that we're living in. I remember reading a story recently about some lady that wanted to take a selfie of herself. I think it was a gal, and she, got, she was out at the Grand Canyon, and she got cl too close to the edge and fell to her de death. You're on dangerous ground. I'm on dangerous ground. And I've been there. We've all been there, haven't we? we we've, we've all done this kind of stuff. Where we fall into the, the pit of personal pride instead of living life for God, for whom we're, we're created, for God and for His glory. We're the creatures, He's the Creator. And so we get hung up on our personal fame and our personal name. And look at verse 4 again. Look at the second half of that verse. Why were they building the city and the tower? That we may make a name for ourselves. Turn back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 for just a minute. And look at that. You remember the Nephilim, the, the giants in the land? That uh, the, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, notice the, the language, how this is described. The Nephilim were heroes of old, men of renown. And that Hebrew word there in that verse of Scripture for renown, men of fame or renown, is the, the same Hebrew word, name. They were men of name. We want to make a name for ourselves rather than live for God's glory. And so I think of Nebuchadnezzar and the rich fool and the New Testament, all these people that made the same mistake. And just one other quick warning sign before we move on and wrap this up this morning. And this isn't in your notes. I was thinking about this after this already was printed. Personal security. If your life is about safety and security, and I've lived a lot of my life in that spot, wanting to be safe, wanting to be secure. If personal security is a higher priority for you than following God by faith, flexibility... That's another warning sign, I think, that we're going down our road instead of God's road. Because if you notice here, they moved into the plains of Shinar and they settled there. They settled there for security. They wanted security. God's plan has always been what? To scatter us. To fill the earth and subdue it. That's the creation, the cultural mandate in, in Genesis chapter 1. That's God's plan. And you remember the story of Abraham and Lot? Ab Lot settled in the plains. But Abraham lived in tents. He followed God by faith. And Hebrews 11 tells us that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. 
Following God by faith, flexibility instead of personal security, that can be another warning sign or signal. So what is God's response to all of this? How does he respond to their choice? Well, notice what he does. Genesis 11, beginning in verse 5. But the Lord came down. Hope you're following along on the screen or in your Bible. And he saw the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us. Now God's talking to himself, the Trinity. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Notice the contrast between his come let us and their come let us. Let us confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the, scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And that's why it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world for the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And the word Babel, that word sounds very much like the other Hebrew word for confusion or confused. That's the meaning of Babel, confusion. So what does God do when we're off-roading, when we decide to follow our road instead of His? Many times God will send confusion or some kind of crisis into your life in the form of chaos in order to get you to stop And think about where you are. In order to bring you back to the place where you will seek Him. And you'll look to Him as your Creator and your Savior. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you doing life with Him, not doing it your way. And so a lot of times God will will confuse things. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're in a situation like this, and you're confused, and you're just trying to make sense of it, and your life could be described as confusing or chaos or crisis of some time, some kind, maybe God has allowed that for a reason to get you to stop and to think about where you are. Reminds me of a humorous story that I read years ago of a missionary from Afro who came home to a missionary conference in Houston, Texas. This is around about 2000. And this missionary brought some Africans with her to this conference. And the Africans evidently had never been to America before, so they wanted to go out and shop. They're out shopping, and she's fearful that they might get lost. And so she gives them her cell phone, her cell phone, and she says, Now, if you get lost and you don't know where you are, here's my number. You call me, and you tell me where you are, and I'll come get you, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you back to where you're supposed to be. And so they go shopping, and sure enough, they get lost. And one of them gets the phone, calls the number, tries to reach this lady, gets him on the phone. She says, well, where are you? They don't know where they are. She says, well, go down to the street corner and look at the street signs, and you come back, you tell me what those signs say, and I'll know where you are, and I can come get you and get you back to where you're supposed to be. And so they go look, and they come back, and this is what the person says. She says, well, where are you? She sa- the, the, he says, well, he says, I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. (laughs) 
Maybe you're at the corner of walk and don't walk this morning. And you don't know what to do. Sometimes God will let us get lost out of His love. He doesn't want us lost. He'd prefer for us to stay on the the path. But God in His love, because He loves us so much, sometimes He will let us get lost so that we will find Him. What is the Bible's remedy? If you're confused and just trying to make sense of it today, turn to James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10 for just a moment. And notice what the Bible says. What is the Bible's solution when we find ourselves just surrounded by confusion, trying to make sense of where we are? We know we've gotten off the beaten path. We're not, supposed, we're not where we're supposed to be. What is the Bible's remedy for our situation? I'll just read this and you listen. It's pretty straightforward. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't be off-roading and on the main road at the same time. It just doesn't work. You got to choose. It's either him or, or them or it or whatever it is in your life. He yearns jealousy. Jealously, the Bible says, over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. And then it goes on to say, this is, I think, a picture of God's love and grace. He gives more grace. You see verse 6 there in James 4. Whatever your situation, God's grace is greater. And grace is God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. We can't save ourselves. We can't get us back, ourselves back. We've got to have His help. That's why we have a Savior, Jesus, who died for us. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace, grace to the humble, to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I need grace. I need grace. I need mercy, don't you? That's what we all need. And that's God's offer this morning. And so he goes on to say, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the deceiver. And he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. And here's the promise. If you'll draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And so First John tells us, Don't love this world or anything in it. Don't make the mistake of the people who built the Tower of Babel. Because everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the bragging, all of this stuff, it doesn't come from, the, from God, it comes from the world. And the world is passing away. And its desires, but he who does the will of God will, will live forever. I want to close with this story before our worship team comes. It's a story of scuba diving. Have any of you ever been scuba diving? I'm just curious. We have any scuba divers here today? We got a few. I've never been scuba diving, okay? So I'm going off of this story, this Navy deep sea scuba diver. 
And I've got a son-in-law who scuba dives, and they tell me it's just beautiful. You get down there in the ocean, and so you've done it. You know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's incredible, God's creation. But you can go so deep as a scuba diver that you can become disoriented. And, and actually, you can't, it gets so dark if you go so deep. You, you can become disoriented. You don't know where the surface is. You've lost direction. You can't even see your hand if you get that deep. So how do you find, find your way back to the surface if you're disoriented and you're, you, you, you're, you're drifting? You don't know where you are. The way you find yourself back to the surface, according to this Navy Sea Diver, is you follow the bubbles. You don't follow your feelings or your intuition. You don't follow your own judgment. You follow the bubbles, and the bubbles will take you back to the surface. Well, what is our guide in the spiritual realm? It's not bubbles. Our guide is this book. This book is our instruction manuals. It, it tells us how to have a relationship with God. It gives you the road back when you're trying to find your way. Hear the word of God this morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, now as we sing to you at the close of this service, the truth is, Lord, we all find ourselves on a path that we shouldn't be on at times. And we, we know in our heart of hearts, we need you. You are who we need today, God. And if nobody else in here needs you, I'll just say it for me. I need you. I need Jesus Christ. I need a Savior who came to die for me. Lord, help us to sing this now to you as a prayer because we do need you. As we worship you now, Lord, in Jesus' name.